Chapter Twenty Four of the Stillwater Tragedy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Stillwater Tragedy by Thomas Bailey Aldrich. Chapter Twenty Four. Richard did come home last night, after all," said Mister Slocum with a flustered air, seating himself at the breakfast table. Margaret looked up quickly. "I just met Peters on the street, and he told me," added Mister Slocum. "Richard returned last night and did not come to us." "It seems that he watched with Torini." the man is going to die oh said margaret cooling instantly that was like richard he never thinks of himself first i would not have had him do differently last night you were filled with i don't know what horrible suspicions yet see how simply everything explains itself if i could speak candidly margaret if i could express myself without putting you into a passion i would tell you that richard's passing the night with that man has given me two or three ugly ideas positively papa you are worse than mr taggett i shall not say another word replied mr slocum then he unfolded the newspaper lying beside him and constructed a barrier against further colloquy an hour afterwards when richard threw open the door of his private workshop margaret was standing in the middle of the room waiting for him she turned with a little cry of pleasure and allowed richard to take her in his arms and kept to the spirit and the letter of the promise she had made to herself if there was an unwonted gravity in margaret's manner young shackford was not keen enough to perceive it all that morning wherever he went he carried with him a sense of margaret's face resting for a moment against his shoulder and the happiness of it rendered him wholly oblivious to the constrained and chilly demeanour of her father when they met the interview was purposely cut short by mr slocum who avoided richard the rest of the day with a persistency that must have ended in forcing itself upon his notice had he not been so engrossed by the work which had accumulated during his absence Mr. Slocum had left the correspondence go to the winds, and a formidable collection of unanswered letters lay on Shackford's desk. The forenoon was consumed in reducing the pile and settling the questions that had risen in the shops, for Mr. Slocum had neglected everything. Richard was speedily advised of Blake's dismissal from the yard, but not knowing what explanation had been offered, was unable to satisfy Stephen's curiosity on the subject. "'I must see Slocum about that at once,' reflected Richard, but the opportunity did not occur." and he was too much pressed to make a special business of it mr slocum meanwhile was in a wretched state of suspense and apprehension justice bemis's clerk had served some sort of legal paper presumably a subpoena on richard who had coolly read it in the yard under the gaze of all and given no sign of discomposure beyond a momentary lifting of the eyebrows then he had carelessly thrust the paper into one of his pockets and continued his directions to the men clearly he had as yet no suspicion of the mine that was ready to be sprung under his feet shortly after this little incident which mr slocum had witnessed from the window of the counting-room richard spoke a word or two to stevens and quitted the yard mr slocum dropped into the carving department where is mr shackford stevens he has gone to mitchell's alley sir said he'd be away an hour am i to say he was wanted no replied mr slocum hastily any time will do you didn't mention that i inquired for him and mr slocum returned to the counting-room before the hour expired he again distinguished richard's voice in the workshops and the cheery tone of it was a positive affront to mr slocum looking back to the week prior to the tragedy in welch's court he recollected richard's unaccountable dejection he had had the air of a person meditating some momentous step the pallor the set face and the introspective eyes then came the murder and richard's complete prostration mr slocum in his own excitement had noted it superficially at the time but now he recalled the young man's inordinate sorrow and it seemed rather like remorse 
Was his present immobile serenity the natural expression of a man whose heart had suddenly ossified and was no longer capable of throbbing with its guilt? Richard Shackford was rapidly becoming an awful problem to Mr. Slocum. Since the death of his cousin, Richard had not been so much like his former self. He appeared to have taken up his cheerfulness at the point where he had dropped it three weeks before. If there were any weight resting on his mind, he bore it lightly, with a kind of careless defiance. In his visit that forenoon to Mitchell's Alley, he had arranged for Mrs. Morganson, his cousin's old housekeeper, to watch with Torini the ensuing night. This left Richard at liberty to spend the evening with Margaret and finish his correspondence. Directly after tea he repaired to the studio, and lighting the German student lamp, fell to work on the letters. Margaret came in shortly with a magazine, and seated herself near the round table at which he was writing. She had dreaded this evening. It could scarcely pass without some mention of Mr. Taggett, and she had resolved not to speak of him. If Richard questioned her, it would be very distressing. How could she tell Richard that Mr. Taggett accused him of the murder of his cousin, and that her own father half believed the accusation? No, she could never acknowledge that. For nearly an hour the silence of the room was interrupted only by the scratching of Richard's pen and the rustling of the magazine as Margaret turned the leaf. Now and then he looked up and caught her eye, and smiled, and went on with his task. It was a veritable return of the old times. Margaret became absorbed in the story she was reading, and forgot her uneasiness. Her left hand rested on the pile of answered letters, to which Richard added one at intervals, she mechanically lifting her palm and replacing it on the fresh manuscript. Presently Richard observed this movement, and smiled in secret at the slim white hand unconsciously making a paperweight of itself. He regarded it covertly for a moment, and then his disastrous dream occurred to him. There should be no mistake this time. He drew the small Morocco case from his pocket, and leaning across the table, slipped the ring on Margaret's finger. Margaret gave a bewildered start, and then seeing what Richard had done, held out her hand to him with a gracious, impetuous little gesture. "'I meant to give it to you this morning,' he said, pressing his lip to the ring, but the daylight did not seem fine enough for it. "'I thought you had forgotten,' said Margaret, slowly turning the band on her finger. "'The first thing I did in New York was to go to a jeweler's for this ring, and since then I have guarded it day and night as dragonishly as if it had been the Koh-Inur diamond or some inestimable gem which hundreds of envious persons were lying in wait to wrest from me. Walking the streets with this trinket in my possession, I have actually had a sense of personal insecurity.' I seemed to invite general assault. That was being very sentimental, was it not? Yes, perhaps. That small piece of gold meant so much to me. And to me, said Margaret. Have you finished your letters? Not yet. I shall be through in ten minutes, and then we'll have the evening to ourselves. Richard hurriedly resumed his writing, and Margaret turned to her novel again, but the interest had faded out of it. The figures had grown threadbare and indistinct, like the figures in a piece of old tapestry, and after a moment or two the magazine glided with an unnoticed flutter into the girl's lap. She sat absently, twirling the gold loop on her finger. Richard added the address to the final envelope, dried it with the blotter, and abruptly shut down the lid of the inkstand with an air of as great satisfaction as if he had been the fisherman in the Arabian story corking up the wicked afrit. With his finger still pressing the leaden cover, as if he were afraid the imp of toil would get out again, he was suddenly impressed by the fact that he had seen very little of Mr. Slocum that day. "'I have hardly spoken to him,' he reflected. "'Where is your father to-night?' "'He has a headache,' said Margaret. "'He went to his room immediately after supper.' "'It's nothing serious, of course.' "'I fancy not. Papa is easily excited, 
and he has had a great deal to trouble him lately, the strike and all that. I wonder if Mr. Taggett has been bothering him. I dare say Mr. Taggett has bothered him. You knew of his being in the yard? Not while he was here. Papa told me yesterday. I think Mr. Taggett was scarcely the person to render much assistance. Then he has found nothing whatever? Nothing important. But anything? Trifles are of importance in a matter like this. Your father never wrote me a word about Taggett. Mr. Taggett has made a failure of it, Richard. If nothing new has transpired, then I do not understand the summons I received today. A summons? I've the paper somewhere. No, it is in the pocket of my other coat. I take it there is to be a consultation of some kind at Justice Bemis's office tomorrow. I'm very glad, said Margaret with her face brightening. Tomorrow would lift the cloud which had spread itself over them all and was pressing down so heavily on one unconscious head. Tomorrow Richard's innocence should shine forth and confound Mr. Taggett. A vague bitterness rose in Margaret's heart as she thought of her father. "'Let us talk of something else,' she said, brusquely breaking her pause. "'Let us talk of something pleasant.' "'Of ourselves, then,' suggested Richard, banishing the shadow which had gathered in his eyes at his first mention of Mr. Taggett's name. "'Of ourselves,' repeated Margaret gaily. "'Then you must give me your hand,' stipulated Richard, drawing his chair closer to hers. "'There,' said Margaret. While this was passing, Mr. Slocum, in the solitude of his chamber, was vainly attempting to solve the question whether he had not disregarded all the dictates of duty and common sense in allowing Margaret to spend the evening alone with Richard Shackford. Mr. Slocum saw one thing with painful distinctness, that he could not help himself. End of chapter 24